Hello everyone, this is Donovan LaCroxy. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Hip Hop, Let's Talk R&B, Let's Talk What's Going On in the Community, and debuting over the phone on this podcast, I've got one of the members of Black Lives Matter, Raven Wiggs. How you doing? Hello everyone, I'm quite fine, thank you. All right. Do you want to explain to us who you are a little bit about yourself and your position? Because you are a part of Black Lives Matter. Do you want to explain your position and who you are? Absolutely. Black Lives Matter is a global organization. um, And I'm part of the Toronto chapter. So my position, like all the members on the team, we are the steering committee of Black Lives Matter Toronto. There are no, uh, there's no hierarchy within how decisions are made. Um, And so we are all at the table for what we choose to do. Okay. How long have you been on your position for? I've been a part of Black Lives Matter since 2016. That's when I joined. Okay. And how are you liking it so far in the four years? It's a complicated job, right? Because I believe that in this time period, we have the opportunity to have conversations and to make choices that we weren't able to before. Um, Black Lives Matter is for historians. We remind people of what everyone has forgotten. We are a love movement. Black Lives Matter, for many people who don't know, started as a love letter to black community. Um, after the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the murder of Trayvon Martin. And so it was started off as a letter, a letter to black people to tell us that we were important, that we were necessary, that we were needed, and that we needed to fight for each other. Who was going to save us but us? But it was always the case, and we needed to remember that. And so then it became a national organization. We, the Toronto team, and it's now grown to Vancouver and Ottawa and the UK, all over the world, Black Lives Matter um, has sprung up to protect and honor um, black lives and to eradicate white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Now, black lives obviously 100% matter to you and us. What do you say to people now that's going on where they say, well, Raven, all lives matter. Don't all lives matter? What do you say to that? I say you're not paying attention to your own argument. If I'm saying black lives matter and you're saying all lives matter, you are actually saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to explain? But often, but often that is not what you mean. You yeah. don't actually mean that black lives matter. You don't want our lives to matter. You are comfortable with how things are. Right? And we cannot cannot handle it anymore. If you think about the fact that black people are dying in our bathtubs, are dying in our bed while we're sleeping, if we are in a place where we can't even surrender, then something needs to change. And I don't really care how people feel about black people loving themselves. We deserve to love ourselves. We have fought to love ourselves. And so anyone that is uncomfortable with black people saying, hey, I love myself, you need to invest in your own understanding of why that's a problem for you. That's, that, is, that is your issue, not ours. 
Yeah, yeah. And what is your response when people are saying blue lives matter? Because there's a lot of these little things now. Blue lives matter. Home hardware put up all lives matter the other day on a banner. What is your response when you see again those things, images? It's historic, right? It is, it is historic and it is a tactic of Russian propaganda, right? If you think about the way that the Russians have moved, if you can't beat a movement, you join it to make it less important. And so, of course, there's going to be a blue lives matter and a red lives matter and a, and a yellow lives and a and a, basically what you're saying is white. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Um, and blue lives matter came about to for the protection of police officers. Yeah. yeah. Because, because now police officers are considered a race. I didn't know when that happened. But apparently, if you become a police officer, you become a whole other race. Well, we are talking about our black lives. We are talking about brown lives. We're talking about indigenous peoples who are still suffering to this day from the genocide of their people, right? And the continued violence that our government puts on their land and their body. Um, and so if that is a problem for you, that we are fighting for our lives, then why don't you join us so that we don't have to do this anymore? Why don't you um, talk to your parents, talk to your organization, go to the t go to that room that of your board of directors and look at how many people around that room represent the country that you're living in. Right, right, right. Now, Draymond Green, NBA player, made a statement the other day that's saying, I don't know why the Raptors have Black Lives Matter. Canada doesn't really have to deal with that type of racism. It's not as bad in Canada as it is in the States. What do you say when people make kind of those ignorant comments saying, it's not as bad as it is in, in Canada as it is in the States? Not as bad still results in our death. And so for me, it is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. Think about it this way. If someone sexually assaults your child, and then a statue of that person is made and put right outside your house, and you have to walk past that statue every day with the reminder of what that person did to your family, that is what we are dealing with. That is what we have to fight. We have to fight systems upon systems upon systems that disenfranchise us, right? This is not just about the police, right? This is not, <laughs> it is every sector of, of, of capitalism. Capitalism is like supremacy. And so if we are trying to survive in this time period, then we're surviving in this caste system, right? Where the only way that you have billionaires is by having people who have nothing. Right, right, right. That's that's how that works. And if we're we're going to have conversations about how we're going to change the world, how we're going to take care of the land, if COVID nineteen has taught us anything, we are much more connected than we thought we were. Mm -hmm. Right? We 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 affect each other in all kinds of ways. The environment affects each other in all kinds of ways, and our medical industry was unprepared for it, right. which is why black and brown communities who are 
stuffed and redlined into communities are the ones suffering at higher rates, which is why Canada didn't want to, to collect race-based data. That is why you don't know that racism exists in Canada. It isn't because it doesn't exist. It's because our government has worked very, very hard to point the finger across the pond. When you can point at Donald Trump, because it is a disaster to look at Donald Trump, nothing is as bad as that, right? Mm-hmm. Except that it is. When Justin Trudeau stands up and walks down for the pride parade, but doesn't make sure that bathrooms are a safe place for trans people when <laughs> Justin Trudeau takes a knee mm-hmm. and then the next day approves body cameras as if body cameras were going to keep our community safe, as, as, as if a camera ever did that. Remember George Floyd died while you on a camera. So to me, and that's not even half of what he's done, Think about what he's done to indigenous communities when he said we're going to reconcile what has happened to indigenous communities and then decided to approve a pipeline through a burial site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? right? That is what people are actually going through. So when you can complain on your soap dish about black people loving themselves enough to get out on the street right now because we are suffering a pandemic within a pandemic, then, then you're not paying attention. You don't want to pay attention. And you post your black square and you say that that is enough, but it isn't enough. Mm-hmm. It isn't enough when we are disappearing. Indigenous women have been murdered, have been raped, have been missing, have been found in ravines, and still no justice, still no understanding, still, still no real detective work, right. Right? right? And so this is what we're talking about. That system does not work. That system does not take care of us. That system protects money. It protects money, which is why when we do actions like our demonstrations on statues, that's why they pay attention to it. Because when you affect money, when you affect capital, that is when they'll talk to you. Right, right. What do you say to people? Let's play. De- let, let me pretend I'm playing devil's advocate here. Let, what do you say when people say, well, what do you guys actually want? And because, for example, a devil's advocate might say you guys interrupted the Pride Parade two years ago. You guys met with Kathleen Wynne. You guys met with Mark Sanders. And listeners, again, we're talking in Toronto Black Lives Matter. So, yeah, yeah what do you call So what do you guys want? What if you have listeners or people that say, what do you guys actually want? You guys are not clear of what you want. Are we fighting for black lives or are we fighting for trans lives, gay lives? Are we fighting for all lives? Mm -hmm. Well, you have to look at history. Look at the pride parade and how it actually started. Pride was a riot against the police. Look it up. Stonewall was a club where trans women, sex workers, drag queens frequented. That's for the people who were at Stonewall. And they had had enough of the police raid and they fought back. Marsha P. Johnson, a black trans woman, and Sylvia Rivera were the first people to throw that brick. And so everyone who says that who says that we weren't allowed to stop our own parade 
to make sure that you knew that we are not just black, but we are black. And myself, I am black. I am African. I am indigenous. I am trans. I am queer. And I am pansexual. That, those are all the identities that I walk with, right? That can exist within one person. And so that exists within our community. Then we say all black lives, right? We chant that through the streets. That is what we're talking about. We're talking about poor black lives. Queer, trans, addicted, um, disabled, every single black life that exists, that is what we're talking about. So when we stop that parade with an organization that was kind of trying to tout us in front of everyone to show that they were inclusive, to show that they had things the right way, but they had this history of anti-blackness and erasure of black communities. I'm a dancer first. Right. And so this is why I know this. I was dancing as part of the Blockorama um, block party that happens every year at Pride, which is organized by Blackness. Yes. And we were moved everywhere. Smaller, smaller venue, smaller venue, smaller venue, all over the place. Less money. Two days of programming with, with a $6,000 budget. Right. And so there are problems. <laughs> the, the, what happened in Orlando, the disaster that happened in Orlando, and how Pride Toronto specifically got their names wrong. No, they need to get it right. They need to pronounce people's names right. That is how you show dignity. So everyone focused on the one, the one <laughs> demand that we had was to ask police officers not to not come to not wear uniforms because trans women didn't feel safe. And so if the people who started the movement do not feel safe inside the festival, then what is the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. You stop people and you say, hey, listen, this community doesn't feel safe. There's no programming for elders. Where's their programming? They created this for us, and now they can't be here because they're not young and hot and muscly? Right. No. Like, this is what we're talking about. And, and when black people get free, everyone gets free. Let me break down some history. If the Civil Rights Act did not happen, then brown people would not be in the states working. And so everyone has benefited from what black people have done to revolutionize and free ourselves. And so when we're talking about, um, you know, devil's advocate, when we're talking about all these all these things that try to um, step in the way without real argument, without real facts, um, it doesn't make sense. Like, I'm giving you facts. These aren't made up. This is history. You can look it up and find this information. It's just that you haven't paid attention to the information because you don't have to. When you're living a life of privilege, right, even as a black person, if you're living a life and you don't have to deal with certain things, then you don't know that they're happening. I was here for a dance program. I didn't know that people were being murdered. I didn't know that the police were showing up to people's houses and pulling them out in the middle of the night. I didn't know that, mm -hmm. right? And so who was going to tell people that this was happening? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and so that's why we do it. It's not because we want to. It's not because I don't have to have another job. Black Lives Matter is a volunteer organization. We do not get paid for the work that we do. Not that you have to pay me for saving my people. However, I have to do that, which is a 24-hour job, and still do my own job and find my own money to pay my rent, 
right? And so this is not some glamorous job. This is not some, oh, go find another job. No, <laughs> this is because we have to. I wish that we could just be bored in this pandemic. I wish that we could stay home and, and, and keep ourselves safe. But if, if my sister, Brianna Taylor, is not alive today, she was at home. Yeah. She was asleep. Hmm. Hmm. Then, then we got to get out in that street and let people know, oh, no, this has to stop. Right, right. And what do you say to police officers right now? For you guys, for example, you guys have been doing demonstrations in downtown Toronto, marching for black people, even black people here that have been killed in the hands of cops and black people in the states that have been killed by cops. You guys have been marching. What has the police's response been? Are they cooperating? Are they more open to listen, or still nothing? It's, it, it's not nothing. <laughs> we are hyper-surveilled. Um, there was a cruiser outside of my house just two days ago. Um, so it, it is, they are not being helpful. They are not helping us um, resolve the issues. This is not something that can be fixed with reform. Right, because that's what they'll tell you. Reform, more training. No, no. We tried that. We stepped outside of the police headquarters. Mark Saunders didn't even come outside to to, to greet us. Mm-hmm. We went to the front doorstep. <laughs> and so we stepped outside in the cold for two weeks to get people to recognize what was happening. And, and Kathleen Wynne finally, finally admitted that there was an anti-black racism problem within the government and that we need to do something about it. And then we got Justice Pillock to do a review of the police oversight, um, police oversight rules and restrictions that hadn't been reformed in 25 years. Wow. 25 right? years. And 25 years. Think about that. How, how much has changed in 25 years? A lot. How many rules? How, how many, how many, like, look at the Constitution. They're changing that all the time because they're recognizing how many people were left out. And so if we can't be here in community, as in Canada, as citizens of it, and say, listen, you need to consider this. You need to stop killing us, please. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not like we're out there inciting violence. We're out there being like, let's use our art practices to make sure that it's visually stimulating so people talk about it. So people say, hey, I'm going to look at that now. You know, because we know how this works. You look at things that are pretty. Right. right, and so that's why we do it that way. If there, if 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 the books, if the TED talks, <laughs> if the essays worked, we wouldn't be here. Right. We wouldn't be in the street. I'm sorry, like that. That is not something that we want to be doing. I would much rather have my summer vacation, <laughs> right. but I can't do that. Right. Many black people can't do that, right? When we're living in poverty, when we're trying to survive from COVID. That's what Black Lives Matter does, too. We started a COVID relief fund to make sure that people were going to be taken care of in this time period. We partnered with Good Food Box to make sure that people have fresh vegetables delivered to their homes. Like, that's also what we do. It's not that we're just against the police. We are trying to uplift black humanity. Mm-hmm. 
And what do you say to people that, that let's hear people that are against the movement. They say, yes, you guys are. Look what you guys did. You guys damaged statues, throwing paint on them. What do you say to those people to say, I don't see anything positive in the movement? Well, you know what? Here's what I say to that. Imagine having a 29-year-old sister, aunt, daughter. Right. And the police are called because she's having an epileptic episode. Mm-hmm. And then they show up, and then you come home to see your daughter having fallen off a balcony after the interaction with the police. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which they still have yet to give the breakdown. And listeners around the globe, this happened, made worldwide news. Uh, police arrived at Ms. Korshinsky. Oh, I can't even pronounce the Korshinsky name. Korshinsky Paquette. Yes, at her apartment building. This happened in Toronto, and she fell from quite a number of how many? How? how, What floor did she fall from? It was close. It was close to the top. She she died on impact. Yes. So imagine that, listeners. Like, and still, Toronto police have not. Given the breakdown, have they spoken? Have they talked? I know there's certain legal ramifications we can talk about and what we can't talk about. Have they got back or given a response yet? The family are still waiting for answers. I I, I was part of helping to organize the memorial ceremony that happened this Saturday, um, marking the month of her death. Um, And her father stood and spoke and said, they've told them nothing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine losing your daughter at 29 years old and knowing nothing about it? Right, right. And she... That's what we're talking about. Like, this isn't about some statues. Like, your your priorities are messed up. Your priorities are all over the place. And what you actually value is property. Property right. over people. Right. You have been taught, and you have been taught well, yeah. that black people are not worthy of your attention, of your book, <laughs> of your understanding, of your own humanity, mm-hmm. right? Like, black people used to be the property of some of your ancestors, right? If you're white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, as soon as we fought ourselves out of that system and we were no longer the property, the system has done everything in their power to remind us of that fact. Right, right. Right? If you think about what just happened with the UK closing its borders to the US, that's not got anything to do with COVID, you know. <laughs> that has to do with the fact that US just paid off, just paid off their debt <laughs> for paying back their loss of property <laughs> at the slaves. Wow. Wow. You think- right? And you see listeners, what do you call She's talking. I'm trying to play devil's advocate. It's not that I'm against her. So she's not talking at me. She's answering my question. So I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm pretending, say, 
and I say, so, and I like to play devil's advocate here. I'm not, I support Black Lives Matter 100% support the movement. I don't think it's fair that black people are being killed and no answers are being given to the community or account is being given. As for I said, I can't give too much detail, but I really think they don't know what happened to Miss Korshinsky on May 20, almost two months ago. I don't think they know yeah. what happened. I don't think so. I just don't think they know what happened. And still, they probably might say they don't know what happened. Right. We know what's going to happen because it's happened before. Right. You get an inquest. Right. You get an inquest that says nothing. It's going to say they did nothing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Look at what just happened here in Toronto to a young man by the name of DeFonte Miller. Right. DeFonte Miller was 16 years old in his neighborhood, and two gentlemen, one was a police officer, mm -hmm. and one was his brother, a civilian, mm -hmm. chased this young man through the neighborhood 150 meters, so he got to a neighbor's house because they had assumed that he was stealing. Right. Hmm. And so the cop, the officer, never said, stop, I am the police. Never uttered those words. Wow. But decided to chase this young kid through the, through the back of his own neighborhood, hmm. caught him as he was trying to get over a fence, and beat him so badly that he lost his eye. It was split in four places. And those, those cases did, listeners, by the way, make worldwide attention. So we're not making anything up, listeners. These are in the news. And if Americans are listening, they can look these stories up, too. It's not like... Yeah, we, their names are, the police officer's name is Michael Terriol. His brother is Christian Terriol. Mm -hmm. And Christian was just let off free. Wow. No charges. That wow. is what we're talking about. We're talking about a system that protects vigilantes. Wow. Wow. So again, right? back, yeah, uh, back to my question and tying it into what you're talking about. What do you say to people that I don't see anything positive in Black Lives Matter? I just see angry black people that are just angry with the cops and you give them a little inch, they take a mile. What do you say to those people that are just, they're bigots, they're ignorant about the movement? My anger is justified. Right. My anger is justified. Okay, I'll give you another story. This story broke my heart, okay? Um, the police show up to a, a, a neighborhood in Mississauga. They, they knock on the door, and a young man opens the door. He's wearing shorts, no shoes, and no shirt because he's at home. They say, you have to come outside with us. He asks why, no answer. They pull him from the back of the neck through out the door. His mother, who is an immigrant, doesn't speak much English and doesn't understand what is happening. She grabs his hand and starts swinging at the police officers. She frees her son and he runs away. The police officers decide to then arrest this woman. He sees his mother being arrested and comes back with his hands in the air saying, hey, sorry, no, 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 don't, 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 don't arrest my mother. I, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'll go with you. This young man wow. was shot at 19 times. 
19. Wow. Some of the bullets hit other officers. And the story that you heard in the news was not this. It was a woman in her kitchen cutting vegetables. And a straight bullet went through the her window and hit her in the back. And she is now paralyzed. She sued the police and she won. That is the story that you heard. You did not hear that this young man had bullets, 19 of them, shot at him in front of his mother. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, so, yes, I am angry. <laughs> yes, I am very angry. Anger isn't a problem. And, you know, anger in black people is always something that's seen as wrong. But when anger happens in white people, it's celebrated. That is how you get Donald Trump. That is how you get leadership that speaks more power and more power and more power, more so than the actual uplifting of communities, the actual bringing communities together. You have you support divisiveness when it comes from white people. You do not support black people standing up for themselves and fighting for our lives. I do not know these people. To be clear, they're not my friends. They're not my cousins. I don't know them. But I will get out in the street and fight for people who are dying at the hands of police. The people who are supposed to protect us and the people who are killing us are wearing the same uniform. Right. So right. how can we win? Hmm. And it's not Blue Lives Matter because you can change that uniform at the end of the day. Our exactly. Color... Police officers are not a race. Yeah. They're not a race. <laughs> They're human beings and they make mistakes. Right. And so if we can't hold human beings to make mistakes accountable like they do for everybody else, then what happens to those people? They become emboldened in their behavior. That police officer, Mr. Sanjay Miller, did not expect that he would be charged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is not a police officer that thought, you know what, I'm going to just beat this child until I'm finished beating this child, and then when I'm done, I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. It's... That is not someone who thought, you know what, there's going to be a consequence for my action. No, no. And what do you say? Okay, do you think that defunding the police will help this? Because what if there's still bad apples in the police force? Because I know everybody's in favor of defunding the police. But what happens if that still doesn't change? Say if you still have bad apples out there pulling black men over and pulling brown men over, pulling what do you and call women, it? Yes. Indigenous men over and just randomly carding them. What do you say yes. to that when they do approve of defunding the police? Here's the thing. My ancestors are the first abolitionists. They abolished slavery. They got themselves free. And I believe that it's our job to abolish the system, essentially. And so I want to make it so that we don't need police officers. Mm. And to be very honest with you, I want to create communities of care. We just kitchen secret should be alive. George Floyd should be alive. Andrew Loku should be alive. Tamir Wright, the child, should be alive. Right? And in, a, in, a, in an abolitionist present, you would be able to have community to hold people accountable, who take care of them, who hold the victim in, in care as much as the perpetrator. Right? We know that correctional facilities don't actually correct behavior. 
think about COVID-19 for a second and how many people are losing their minds while being at home because they feel stuck and unable, and unable to continue their regular life. Mm-hmm. Think about what that feels like to be in, in solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. That's true. And then after you're in solitary confinement, then you're put out into the street to be able to interact with humans who are free. <laughs> what do you do? How do you interact with that? I know what it was like for me to go back into public after three months and have anxiety attacks. Hmm. Right? There are no programs for people after they leave prison to help them safely interact with communities again. Hmm. Right? And so they end up back in prison. And so they end up being people who we consider inmates. And these inmates are, are making soap for us, are making underwear for us. They're working. Right? right? Or a dollar a day. That's slavery, y'all. I'm sorry, but I'm not really about that. Right. You know? If we abolished it one time, we need to continue that abolishment. Like, it's a business. The police, the prison industrial complex is a business. Police is a business. How is it, right, that our nurses are wearing trash bags to keep people safe from COVID-19 and police have new uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Like, we, we have to ask these questions. And if you're not asking the questions, then you don't really care. People mm-hmm. are dying alone mm-hmm. from COVID-19. People who are in such bad shape are dying alone. And some of these people, right, are elders. They live in affordable care homes. Right? They, they live in shelters. Mm-hmm. Poor, being poor doesn't mean that you should die. It's not a crime to be poor. However, our, our city, our state, and our police treat it like it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But do you think that even if they defund it, don't you think, like, for me, listeners, I'll tell you this, I am scared when we say defunding the police because, but I know a lot of people say we didn't say abolish the police, but mm-hmm. I still think we need police, but I get... How do we know that this money, Raven, would go to the affordable housing, would go to black mental health or mental health facilities? How do we know that this money, if we defund them, will go to it? Right. That's where faith comes in. Mm-hmm. Right. You, like, if, if the thing about people calling Black Lives Matter radical and that we don't, that we're just angry and we don't want anything. We're appealing to the humanity of white people. We're appealing to the humanity of the state. Right? We're asking people to think about the different ways, to think about the different programs. And the thing is, they don't have to dream it up. I said this in my speech. We've done the work already. 60 years of activism have given you all the information that you need, all the programs that would be possible. Black people and communities are doing it ourselves with no money. Mm-hmm. You know, I run a dance company that was that was helping people with harm harm reduction through movement. I wasn't paid for that, mm-hmm. right? So if you actually have, but if I actually had the 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 funds to be able to do it on a mass scale, how healthy people could be, right? But see, then you go into a different industry, right? Then you go into the health industry. 
And so this is why I'm talking about that it's an entire system that operates together. If I am poor and my health is messed up, then when I go to the hospital, I'm going to have to pay much more than someone who's rich. Mm-hmm. It's expensive to be poor. <laughs> Right, and so and so that's what we're talking about. That's what we want to shift and change. You know, defunding the police is not a negative thing. It's a reallocation. Okay, if the language makes you scared, then it's a reallocation of funds into creative alternatives, into programs that that can help assist people with their actual living. I'm talking about so many people right now in COVID-19 are creating bubbles. This group of people who keep each other safe who you're only really interacting with those group of people, they're helping you get your groceries, all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That's what people need. You know, when they say it takes a village to raise a child, that's where that comes from because we are each other's currency. We need other people. This is why we march in the street to be like, hey, who is paying attention? Hey, I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs. I'm going to cry all night long from the death of George Floyd and his daughter who now says my dad changed the world. But I think that her dad could have changed the world while he was still alive. Right, right. Right? This is what we're talking about, death. You know, we are dying. Hmm. And so when you say why, why a statue... Egerton Ryerson was the architect of residential schools. That program was used in South Africa. It was called apartheid. Mm. Right? This is connected in so many ways to what we're dealing with right now. And so, yes, we should talk about it. Yes, I'm going to throw paint on it to make you understand it. And you know what's interesting? That every year, the engineering students at Ryerson University put stickers all over that statue. They get prizes for defacing monuments around the city. <laughs> if you go look at that statue right now, you'll see stickers at the top of it. What mm. do they say? <laughs> well, you see, okay, but you see, let me stop you there right, right now. Because when they put pain, when you guys had put pain all over, what do you say to people that when Mark Sanders clapped back and said, this is not a good way to get your message across, what do you say to that? Mark Sanders is a coward. <laughs> you know why? Because when he showed up at his doorstep of his office, and asked him to come outside and have a conversation, he wasn't around. Mm. He wasn't around for the conversation. He didn't show up. Mm-hmm. So he came out of retirement during COVID to tell us that we were doing the wrong thing, protesting the wrong way, yet a week before he was kneeling on the ground. Pardon? Mm. Mm. So excuse me, you have to understand, right, that like... Not you, but people have to understand that Black Lives Matter is a movement. Mark Saunders kneeled in the Black Lives Matter liberation movement, saying that I stand with you, that I see you, I am in solidarity. Well, if that's true, Mark Saunders, then how come you weren't at the Memorial Regis Kitchen Seat again? He if said that's true, being... Mark Saunders, then how come you haven't issued an apology? How come you haven't brought those officers forward and said, hey, we need answers right now? Yeah. How come you aren't working for communities to make sure that we don't have to do this? 
Mm-hmm. This is not my job. It's yours. Yeah. And listeners that don't know globally, this is the Toronto police chief, and this is all what's going on in Toronto. So a lot of people in the States might not understand it. Well, you should be able to understand it. American listeners, you should be. And if you only think racism still, after listening to this interview, is only in the States, you really need to wake up. I mean, come on. There is no way that that's possible, right? I'm from Bermuda. I I wasn't born in Canada, right? And so I there's 60% black, more so than any other race on that island. And we still have impacts of white supremacy. Mm. We still have um, ways in which white leadership um, directly affects black people on the, on, on the island. And so I'm sorry. You can go anywhere in the world and still be followed around the store. You know what that's about? <laughs> right so i know that we call them microaggressions i know that we, that like comedians make jokes about them on television because it's better to laugh than to cry but these are real issues a microaggression as sonia renee taylor tells us is daily is violence on the daily right, right. it's violent if you think about george floyd george floyd died because a brown man who owned a store thought he was going to rob it and called the police. Hmm. Right? So when I'm, when I'm saying that this is all linked together, that's what I'm talking about. And if you zoom out of that video, you'll see an Asian man with his back hmm. to the entire situation. And that's what you do every time you say Blue Lives Matter. That is what you do every time you say that we are protesting in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you were giving no other alternative. Yeah. If Mark Sanders was like, you shouldn't have to protest this way, then what's the alternative, Mark Sanders? <laughs> what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 35 years old. So this this young woman, 29 years old, like, what, like really? I'm sorry, like, I, I don't think that it's acceptable that we're losing people at these ages. I don't think that it's acceptable that we're losing eight-year-olds mm-hmm. for playing with toy guns in a park. Mm-hmm. I remember being eight and playing with super soakers and things like that, but guns don't look like that anymore. They're made to look more real. So why don't you hold manufacturers responsible? Right. I have a question. Right? I have a question here uh, from somebody. Mm-hmm. They ask, how come Black Lives Matter does not march when black people are killing other black people? This is a question from Laureen. Laureen, people kill in proximity to each other. White people kill white people. Asian people kill Asian people. Black people kill black people. That's the science around it. If you are surrounded by people and the only people that you can reach when you are all oppressed are your people, then that is who you will fight. And no, we don't march against black people because the ways in which we are dealing with and understanding community, inter-community violence is by creating programs, art programs, um, music programs, dance programs, to help facilitate that. We know that our programs and communities where there is gang violence have, sh- have significantly, significantly changed um, the situation. 
Mm-hmm. Right? If you look at Chicago, and people are like, Chicago is the most violent place in the world. Do you know why they say that? It's because of Obama. It's because they wanted to destroy Obama's legacy by saying that he couldn't keep his own city state. <laughs> True. Right? And if you look at the stats, here you go, facts again. If you look at the stats of Chicago, their violence rate has gone down every year for the past 20 years. Mm. Right? That's not what they tell you on the news. Right? It is is much more sensational to be like, black people are killing each other, but they're marching against white people. Here's the thing. I don't want anyone to die. I I don't want anyone to fight each other. I want us to all have what we deserve. And here's the thing. I'm going to paint the scenario for you. Sure. If I have $5 and there are 100 people in front of me and I toss that $5 in the air and these people have nothing else, what do you think is going to happen? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting point. That is exactly what is happening. When we have redlining of districts, when we have places like Tulsa, right? When we have places in uh, in Canada like Africville that were affluent black communities that white people burned to the ground. Right. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Because we were sharing our wealth with each other. Hmm. Then the government takes it back. How dare you share wealth? <laughs> so don't tell me <laughs> that we are too aggressive with our messaging. No, we're not aggressive enough because clearly we're still dying. Two black trans women died this week alone. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? And so this is a situation that we are all responsible for. Transphobia exists in every single community. It's a world problem. So of course it's a black problem. Mm-hmm. Poverty exists everywhere around the world. Look at it. So of course it exists in black communities. We are of the world and you and people keep treating us like we don't exist. The mere fact that you asked a question about, like, oh, why are black people upset about this? Why are, why don't black people just um, have a conversation? We've been talking to politicians. We had a meeting with John Tory. Hmm. We had six. Six. Right? And still we are in a case and during this pandemic where our people are dying. And so, and so no. So we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. We're not going to stop making our voice heard. We're not going to stop galvanizing the people. Right now, there are more people marching for black lives than there have ever been before. This is the biggest civil rights movement in history. You know why? Because people are recognizing what black people have to deal with for the first time. Right, right, right. And this is not new, right? This is not new. This is 400 years. 400 years of violence, of disenfranchisement. We have ancestors that committed mass suicide in the ocean. Do not tell me about some pain. (laughs) Yeah. What do you want to say to the police officers? What do you want to say? What is a message from you to the police right now? What do you want to say to the police and your city councilors right now if they were to stumble upon this interview? Access your humanity. Ask yourself some questions. 
about the situation that you've been involved in that ends with people's death. If that happens to your own family, what would you do? What would you ask for? What would you need? What kind of support? What kind of programs would you come up with? You have to be part of the solution as opposed to fighting the people you are supposed to protect. That is your job. You are sworn in to protect people, not property, people. And if you are failing at that, then you shouldn't be doing anything else. You are not social workers. You haven't gone to school for that. I'm a dancer. No one's going to hire me to do neurosurgery. That's ridiculous. Right. right? And so they need to, like, they need to understand that there's no such thing as a bad apple. Hmm. The whole tree is rotten. Hmm. Hmm. Because none of them hold themselves accountable. None of them. Right. You saw what happened to those police officers. That one officer pushed that old man into the street and his head bled out, bled out on the street. Yep. And you know what they did? They quit. In protest. <laughs> yeah. So, so, excuse me, officers, you need to get it together. That's what I think. And those three people, do you want to quickly talk about those three people that were arrested in the demonstration in case listeners? Because remember two weeks ago, and you still want to address the statue in case listeners are not clear. What if mm -hmm. listeners keep asking, why, why did you guys throw paint? on the Sir John A. McDonald statue in case you have listeners that are still not getting it. They were both architects of white supremacy. They both, they own slaves, they own black people, and they're, they're, they're memorialized as heroes. They're architects of genocide. The residential schools still affect people to this day. People don't know their languages. I am communicating to all of you in English. That is not my mother tongue. I don't even know how to find out what it is because of what your ancestors did to make sure of that. Right? And so for me, I, I just I just think that we need to focus on people. Like the the statues and, and, and the people who were arrested, right? The people, those people were arrested to, to, to send a message to Black Lives Matter Toronto that the police will not go down without a fight. But what they don't recognize, right, is the, that the police, what we're trying to do <laughs> is save communities. It's help community. It's to make sure that they have food, they have safety and security, not cause for punishment for being disabled. Right? And so and so that is what I want you to know. I, I, I want you to know that if there was another way, <laughs> we've tried it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Beyonce's out there singing about it. How many ways do you need? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many other ways can we tell you? Mm -hmm. 
And do you want to explain, okay, to the listeners, to those three people that were arrested, there was a lawyer that spoke. Mark Sanders said that, oh, um, what do you call it? They weren't in there for that long. And then the lawyer said they were in there for 12 and a half hours. Yes, they were. Okay. 12 and a half hours because I was there. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. You want to explain a little bit about that in case, yeah, because Mark Sanders had said, no, they were not in confinement for that long. Of course you would say that. Mm -hmm. Of course you would say that. But Mark Sanders wasn't there either. Mm -hmm. So that's an important thing for y'all to understand. He didn't show up. He didn't get out of his bed, come down there and be like, what's going on? Let me sort this out. No. No, he didn't. Right? And so what happened was they were arrested and they were, and they were taken in, and we couldn't find them. Mm -hmm. We didn't know where they were. They weren't allowed counsel. They weren't allowed their phone calls just three and a half, four hours later. Wow. Wow. Right? Three and a half, four hours later. That is unheard of. And then... And then after their phone call, we didn't know where they were. We couldn't find them. We didn't have any answers. And they weren't out until 2 a.m., right? And so that, <laughs> and that is what happened. That is what we're dealing with. The fact that, you know, I will agree in one sense that they weren't there that long compared to people who are taken in for marijuana. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, the drug that's now free? Yeah. You know, the drug that, that now you can go to um, these places and, and buy it? And, you know, what's interesting about that is that the police officer, the chief of police, the former chief of police of Toronto, who used to put people in jail for five years for that, now owns hmm. a weed store. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and by the way, listeners, we will be talking about a marijuana. I will be doing a marijuana show because I, I will have to do marijuana and the pandemic. So, but I see what she's saying. You see, it's like a catch-22, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, and, and none of them are let out. Hmm. None, none, none of them are released. Hmm. Right? None of them are decarcerated. Right? Mm-hmm. But this man now gets to make money upon money upon money from <laughs> something that they viewed as a crime. See, this is what I'm talking about, about abolition. This is what I mean about a reimagination of, of how our society functions. Weed, in, in its root, was a medicine. Alcohol, in its root, was a, was a medicine. Right? And those who have have deal with the disease of alcohol, right? Those who 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 need uh, release, those who have glycoma, those who have anxiety, those people who utilize recreational drugs to survive a system like this. Hmm. Yeah. Are the ones who are being killed. <laughs> wow. Being killed. Right? Not getting help. Not being supported. Preach. They are not here. Right? And so we can't, we can't do anything about them now. But we can make sure that you don't forget their name. We can make sure that it doesn't happen to somebody else's family. I had to watch 
Sorry. I had to watch a four-year-old bawl his eyes out because his auntie is gone. Wow. That's what we're dealing with. That's what you leave with that four-year-old. What is he going to grow up and do? Wow. What's his interaction going to be with the, the police after this? No one thinks about the impact of how that sits in people's bodies. What about Trayvon Martin's mother? She went out to buy Skittles, everyone. Skittles! Hmm. Right? And he will never come home again. Wow. That is what we are dealing with. And when you're complaining to me about paint on a statue that can easily come off, Your priorities are all over the place. That is why I did the speech the other day. That's why I had to say it. That's why I got up and it's been shared all over the place. And people are talking about all the message. I can finally hear it. But it's frustrating to me. Right. Right. You know, it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So people have to die. Millions of people have to die. Thousands of people a year have to die. When we have to march in the street, we have to be surveilled. People are beat. This young man lost his eye. He will never see again. And and now, you care. Now you hear. Yep. Now the listen. Now people are getting it. Well, I hope listeners, after almost an hour of talking with you, I hope they'll get it. <laughs> I hope so too, and I'm not going to shame people. I don't think shame is a teacher, and I also don't think guilt is a teacher, right? But I do think we all have a responsibility to to um, question, to reckon with the parts of ourselves that still hold on to white supremacy and that need it, the parts of myself that that tell me that I'm better than somebody else, and so therefore that that I can do anything I want to that person. That's the system that we're in right now. That's what black people are dealing with. Right, right. Quickly, do you, quickly, yeah. do you want to throw out your platforms not to cut you off, but because no, we're of course, anchors, of anchors telling us to wrap up. Listeners, we will follow up with her again in the future, but I want her to throw out her platforms and ask one more question. Are you guys going to be doing more future marches? Absolutely. And you know what? I, I really hope that we never have to march again. To be very honest with you, I hope that we that we don't have to lose another black life, another brown, indigenous, poor, uh, disabled life. I, I really do. But if that happens, then you know where we'll be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no upcoming marches in the future, no nothing new, right? Not at this time, no. We're taking the time to heal. Um, and to take care of our, our communities in the ways that we have been doing with our COVID relief fund and also with our food baskets. Okay, so throw out your platforms quickly. Um, you can find us at blacklivesinfo at blacklivesmatter.ca or blacklivesmatter.ca, our website. Um, you can find me, Raven Wings, R-A-V-Y-N-W-N-G-Z. I'm the only one, so type it in, you'll find me. <laughs> Yeah, those, those, are, those are ways to get in touch with us um, and to give your concerns, understandings. Um, you can disagree with me just as long as you don't, just, don't disrespect my identity. All right. 
It's so good to get to know you. We, I promise we, well, let's hope there's not another March, but we will follow up with you maybe in the future to see how everything is going. I want to thank listeners for listening. And if you want to reach me, Donovan, D-O-N-O-V-A-N, period, L-A-C-R-O-X-I at Gmail or Instagram, Donovan LaCroxy, D-O-N-O-V-A-N, L-A-C-R-O-X-I. Raven, it's so good to get to know you, and thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, take care. And that is going to do it for another episode published July 20, I don't know what we're in, 26th or 7th. Take care, listeners.